I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and wow. What a year of Formula One we've all enjoyed together. For this review, we'll be looking at the whole pack, of course, but there might be some time we spend looking at the top two because, well, that's significant. I think this was the Max versus Lewis championship, so I think we will spend a little bit of time on that top two. And I think my view on where the title was won and lost might not be exactly what you would expect. Uh, It's not all about Abu Dhabi. It isn't. So we will not be revisiting the things that happened on Saturday as a topic, except that I want to tell you that I am still recovering. I'm still recovering from Sunday. I am still pretty irked. Uh, Thank you for the massive amounts of feedback we had. People said that I was rational and reasonable for that Abu Dhabi review, for which I am sorry. That was not my intention to come across like that. I did not mean to be neutral on whether how that race ended was right or not right. So if I came across as kind of both sidesing whether or not it should have restarted in that manner, I apologize. Let me clarify. The way the race ended in Abu Dhabi was wrong. Massey's decision to create new procedures on the fly and conducting F1 in a way that no team could reasonably expect it to have been run was wrong. Deviating from the actual written procedures was wrong. It was done for the show, and that is bad, and it hurt F1. A major readjust is needed. I also will further add 
despite my desire for FIA accreditation one day. I will also further add that I am disappointed with the response from the FIA. They doubled down. They doubled down. They said that we, us fans, misunderstood and we simply needed clarification. And that's the bit that's really hurt me this week. We misunderstood. No, we didn't. They said that the argument about Sunday is what is damaging F1's reputation. It wasn't the conduct of the F1 officials. It was the argument that has come since. And that's not right either. That's gaslighting. And that needs to stop. I'm disappointed the FIA did not admit fault, but I understand that tactically they couldn't admit fault because if you admitted fault, you would have to fix it, reverse the decision, and they couldn't do that. Uh, And I don't want the decision reversed. That is not something I'm after as a sports fan. There was an opportunity after the race, after the race when Mercedes appealed to the stewards. That would have been the final opportunity to, to really have a satisfactory sporting outcome. As far as I'm concerned, the referee made a, ma- a bad call uh, and, it, and it stays like that. It is hand of God. It is 94. The time to reverse the result has absolutely passed and Mercedes dropped their appeal and uh, we have it on decent authority, I think from uh, a not too distant source that Mercedes dropped the appeal because they felt they would not win because of the way the system is is set up. So essentially, from that, I glean that any appeal would have been the FIA marking their own homework. So Mercedes have dropped the appeal, I think, just to save energy and just to refocus and to come back stronger. And I think they're going to come back angry. I'm also joined by someone who never arrives angry. It's Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. Yes, well, as long as it's not my technical problems stopping everything from getting started, I am not angry. But I can be honest with you, there have been times before the show I may not have been perfectly emotionally balanced. Yes, you get it all out of your system beforehand. Yeah. No, and I was just referring to the fact that I do get upset with myself when things aren't ready to go when they're supposed to go. But today, everything is ready to go, and we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review or a season review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by our roving PR man and journalist, Chris Stevens. Hello, Chris. Hey, Spanners. I cannot tell you how psyched I am to be back on a Missed Apex episode. Just hearing that riff come in, it's got me proper jazzed, and I think I've picked the right time to come back on the show. Yeah, I wish you hadn't mentioned the theme music. We are about to lose it due to a, a uh, unjust, I would say Massey-esque copyright dispute. So... Well, okay. we might be we might be in the swan song of our piao music. That's all. Well, this is just an opportunity to create something even better. I think so too. You requested that we uh, because you're uh, horribly neutral, apart from the fact that you are a Latifi fanboy, and you requested a forty minute segment of Latifi's season. Yes, uh. I want to talk in depth about why Nicholas Latifi was the best driver of this season and none of you are going to stop me fair enough we're also joined by jonathan simone jono you requested that this be simply a two-hour review of the best coffee that you should have to wake yourself up before watching a grand prix from australia correct Uh, this morning it was an almond latte 
which uh, which always fuels me. I do love an almond latte. Wow. Not bad. That's almond very, milk. That's very posh. And presumably, you know, we'll go to you whenever we have to justify Ricardo's season as well. Uh, for sure. It's, you know, I, I'm glad I'm not a lawyer because it's hard to uh, argue why his season was very good overall. But oh. as a lawyer, he did have a couple of spurts of greatness, including a race win. So I'm going to probably be arguing with an Australian later as to why Ricardo did have a good season and the Aussie is going to be arguing back why he didn't okay well both i'm hmm. going to argue for both sides all right pr- pr- picture me in a court and i i go from one end of the desk walk to the other argue against myself we don't because have to he's had it. one of those seasons we're about to see it but let's uh, let's talk about the seasons big dirty news big dirty news It's always difficult to try and frame an entire season within a a strict hour review. But I think Chris asked one of the better and most pertinent questions among ourselves, which was. Was this the greatest season of Formula One ever? Okay, that is a good question. Can we I think we can all agree it's definitely the most hyped and possibly most popular mm. season of Formula One ever. I think there is a slight split on the panel. Chris, set us off. Answer your own question. Is this the best ever season of Formula One? Well, for me, the previous benchmark was 2012, where we had ultra-competitive field, eight different winners in uh, across the season, seven different winners in the first seven races, and, uh, of course, the epic title showdown between Vettel and Alonso in brazil and we haven't had as intense a title fight since then sure we've had nico and lewis for a couple of years ferrari came to the table a little bit but really fell off towards the end of the season in both 2017 and 2018 so this is really the first time since then we've had it properly going head to head down to the wire and the when it's an inter-team battle rather than between teammates for me that always makes it more interesting and more exciting. Oh, okay. So you think you think the inter-team battle element makes it the best season ever. But, I, I mean, like, that is up for dispute. There, there's been plenty of inter-team battles that have been fascinating. It's perfectly normal in F1 for one team to dominate and two drivers to, to really entertain us all season. But what I love about it is that you get this acting into each other's strengths and the toing and froing of who has the upper hand, it constantly shifted between Mercedes and Red Bull throughout the season. And what you tend to get with a teammate battle is you have a intense qualifying, you race into turn one, and after that, usually the team will tell you that's it, race decided. Mm. Mercedes tried to have their drivers race, and we all know after one season, they basically gave up on that because they kept banging into each other. Jono. I know you're impossibly young. In fact, this is one of our this is one of our younger available panels. But for you, was this one of the or if the best ever F1 season? I'm not someone to rank something as the number one, but it's certainly up there in what I would call as tier one or your best okay. seasons ever in history. For I like sure. that. So, I like that. Um, yeah, you've got my favorite seasons, especially growing up, include 2012, as as Chris mentioned. 2010 was an absolute classic. Uh, look back at 2009. People underrate 2009 a lot. That was a wicked year. 
Um, you look back at other years as well that were exciting. 07 and 08, I thought were pretty cool in terms of a title fight as well. So to me, definitely one of my favorite seasons ever uh, to watch and certainly great to see not an intra-team battle, but to see a battle between two different teams and two, in my opinion, two of the greatest drivers of all time. Yes, Verstappen will go down as a top five driver, if not top three of all time when he retires. Oh, Uh, we've triggered me early. Okay, Chris, I know you want to come in here. Just a slight tangent. This is, I mean, this is a fair debate. Certainly, the media have been billing this as a title fight between two of the greatest drivers ever. I... I can't I can't get on board with that. Verstappen's done very well this season, which I will detail later in the race review. But surely, Jono, surely it's too early to start talking about Max Verstappen, who has had one title fight and has has nicked it, done very well, but but yep. definitely nicked it at the end there and had a massive, massive slice of unprecedented luck at the end. Surely we can't start talking about him as one of the all time greats yet. I'm talking from experience. So in the past, for example, and I know we we are the youngest panel that you do have at the moment that you can that is available to Mr. Apex. <laughs> but my experience of watching F1 and through studying the history, you can just tell who's going to be a top five, top ten driver of all time. And Verstappen has all those traits. Um, he's pretty much, in my opinion, exactly the same or, or very similar to what Lewis Hamilton was when he came into the sport. Similar driving styles similar regression, similar type of talent, similar blowing out, you know, experienced teammates and everything. Um, so I know, yes, I do agree. It's a little too early to cement it, but we can pencil it in as he is one of the greatest, um, in my opinion, to do it when he retires potentially. I think without doubt, his performance this year has meant that we have enjoyed a title fight between two great drivers and two great teams. So I'm not going to dispute that. Interesting stat about sons of Formula One world champions entering Formula One. Uh, uh, we've got Damon Hill, obviously the son of Graham Hill, uh, Nico Rosberg, son of Keke Rosberg, Max Verstappen, son of Josh Verstappen. Who's the third? Who's the third world champion? Who's the fourth, sorry, world champion? Uh, Villeneuve. Villeneuve, of course. Yes, he won as son of Gilles Villeneuve. None of them have won more than one title. That's an interesting interesting that's gonna change yeah max will (laughs) buck that trend for sure okay so so chris you know back to i think Jono's point is two great drivers two brilliant drivers really having a great season together uh yes i I didn't mean to take away from that i just didn't want to crown him when as one of the greatest of all time yet they certainly made the season the narrative of the, the the king at the peak of his powers threat under threat of being dethroned by the by the you know the the young guy coming up yeah. through through the ranks now and to have had so much wheel to wheel action between those two throughout the season going back to 2012 which was the reference up until that point i can't think of too many examples where vettel and alonso actually ended up racing wheel to wheel together throughout the entire season whereas these two it's always been about those two up at the front miles clear of the rest of the field the clear top two okay sorry let me just clarify f1 champions that had dads that were f1 drivers yes i know josh verstappen and uh gilles villeneuve were not world champions just want to clarify that matt where do you stand best f1 championship f1 year ever it's hard to argue on a lot of different 
bases. But the one that I want to focus on is not only did we have a tie going into the last race, which had only ever happened once in the entire history of the sport, but what I actually started to look at pretty closely was, well, this might be the closest field we have ever enjoyed in the sport. And I looked at top 10 times in qualifying and compared them across seasons. And, and I got to say, I don't think it's ever been this. I think the rules, the, the rule set that we just got rid of provided the closest overall balance in the midfield and at the top okay. that we have ever seen. And we had titanic battles all up and down the constructors and the drivers championship. Wait, wait a minute. Amazing. Wait a minute. The rules that just so happened to specifically nerf Mercedes floor advantage. Well, they did that. I would argue that I'm not sure everyone was aware to the extent they would be affected more than other teams, because after all, Mercedes themselves voted for these rules. I think it was a little bit of luck. I don't think they sat back there <laughs> okay. in their skunk works and said, here's how we'll bring Mercedes to heel. <laughs> okay, but wasn't it sort of weird, Chris, how relatively how little Lewis and Max were actually fighting on track? And then when they did fight on track, we had basically seven incidents where it wasn't great racing that decided who came out on top. We had... Yeah, Silverstone with with Hamilton arguably not quite taking the the optimum line and Verstappen not trying to avoid it either. And then six further incidences of Verstappen launching it down the inside. So that's not good racing. Are, Are we saying that the drama of that and the way it was enforced makes this the best ever F1 season? No, not the way it was enforced. The drama certainly helped, but I mean, don't forget, there was some great racing between those two. Where? Especially in the, I can point you to the first five races, for example, in Bahrain when they went wheel to wheel, in uh, Imola at the first corner, in Portugal for the first half of the race, in Spain where they were nose to tail for almost the entire race. Uh, France was another really great one as well. You know, certainly. Verstappen's uh, style, let's say, got turned up to 11 <laughs> Okay, towards the end of the season, I'll, I'll admit, but you can't deny there have been some cracking, cracking battles between those two this year. I, I guess it depends what you want, Jono. You know, if you want drama, th- this season, I think I, I would be happy to accept that undoubtedly this season has had more drama race by race by race than than any season i can think of and who knows if we're going to get it again because the way i see it is with verstappen's current driving style and the way that everybody has to sort of get out of the way of him it's exactly what lewis hamilton did at the beginning of his career then what Mm -hmm. came later was hamilton's 2011 season where he was involved in a flurry of incidents taking people out a number of collisions with felipe massa and he had to sort of shift his style a little bit. Yeah, okay. I think with Verstappen now, I enjoyed that a lot this year, but I, I really hope we get it again in the future. But he really is playing with fire in terms of some okay. of the moves um, he's pulled off. Yeah, okay. So I, I get what you're saying. Totally mm. get what you're saying with Lewis Hamilton coming in like a fireball. And certainly, if you look at his very robust defenses on exits with uh, with Nico Rosberg in Bahrain in 2014 and like Canada 2015. Yes, he was very aggressive. Verstappen has done 
something sport changing with the way he dives down the inside and the way he can kind of dominate the mid corner of an overtaking move. I would say this is much more like Johnny Wilkinson in 2013 just changing world rugby with his kicking. Verstappen has changed the style that you need to succeed in Formula One. And I think I think the other drivers now, Lewis Hamilton was giving him loads of space all throughout the season and too late decided that he needed to be robust yep. and do something about it. I think next season, Lewis Hamilton particularly and others have to start adopting either that same style of that mid-corner uncompromising entry or simply hold it, let Verstappen hit him and carry on. The, the problem I have with that is as much as yes, Verstappen has shifted the way we race, he's not the first person to do it. He's the first person to get exposure for it on television oh, I don't know and through that. the media. Because I remember there were a lot of moves that, that Lewis Hamilton pulled off in 07. You look at Malaysia at the start of the race, comes flying in with Massa, moving under braking, different stuff. And, and it was great racing back then. I enjoyed it. 2008, Hockenheim forces Massa off the track, no room on the outside. The same, the same that Verstappen did this year in Hamilton at the second chicane in Monza. So yeah. in my opinion, there were people even before Hamilton doing this, but it's who got exposure for it first. I, know, I think it's um, extreme. I just need to correct that Johnny Wilkinson was 2003, not 2013. <laughs> beg your pardon, uh, Chris Stevens. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Max has pushed the boundaries. That's for absolute certain. I think he's dialed it up more because that's what it takes to beat Lewis Hamilton, maybe. And he is surrounded by yes men. He truly believes that he does nothing wrong and is surrounded by people who affirm that statement to him. Yeah. I almost wonder if losing this world title would have been a wake up call. I doubt it, uh, but it's, um, it's fun to think about. It, 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 but he's been vindicated yes. now by winning this world championship. Yeah. This is how you yep. you win. Now he's racked up more seasons at a younger age than than Lewis Hamilton, who at this point in his career was starting to realize that you 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 need to have fewer incidents. And he began adjusting his driving. Yeah. You see how much space he leaves Max, for example, um, compared to you know how much room Max gives Lewis. And yeah, okay, the the incidents were not always Max's fault some of mm. the ones he's gotten into especially over the years but if he starts to drive more like lewis he can avoid more of them and that might just come with age I, chris I, he doesn't need to yes hamilton needed to when when he was going through that phase but verstappen to me for my money matt he can just continue driving like he's been driving this season i maybe no one else is willing to drive like that but the team around him says it was not only correct, but actually the times he did get penalties, he was the victim and the FIA is against him. And But the FIA have broadly let him race like that. I think he's got away with it. He should continue driving like that. Well, one should always find the limit of the rules. And I would argue that he drove like that mostly because he had no other choice. Red Bull did not have a championship winning car the last quarter of the season when it mattered most to them. But I would also point out the little known, the decision at the beginning of the race, which we didn't talk about very much in Abu Dhabi, where they said, yes, Lewis, you may keep that position because we've decided that Max pushed you off the track and left you no space. I think the FIA 
might be reconsidering exactly how far they've let Max mm. go, and he might find a less happy welcome next season with moves like that. With that move as well at Abu Dhabi, and I don't want to shift to that topic yeah, because sure, we sure. covered it in length last week, but just quickly on it, it, had Max Verstappen pulled that move off on Lance Stroll, they would have collided. And I bring back Brazil because that's when Yuki Sonoda shoved it up the inside, dive-bombed, no consideration for track space. And no offense to Lance Stroll, but he's not a good enough driver to be looking in his mirrors while turning into a corner. Lewis Hamilton is and gave Verstappen space. Yeah. And Sonoda got the penalty in Brazil. But just because Verstappen and Hamilton didn't collide doesn't mean Hamilton wasn't trying to avoid a collision. And it doesn't yeah. mean that it didn't deserve a penalty either. That's the problem with yeah. the gray area in the rules with a with a um a, a dive bomb. Yeah, and, and, and here's where here's where, Chris, I I start to move from being very bitter about Sunday, and I am. I am super bitter about Sunday, but I am most critical of the drivers and teams that I admire and support. So to be mm-hmm. critical of Hamilton and then later Mercedes, Hamilton kept giving Verstappen a lot of room. He kept giving Verstappen a lot of room. The the time that he kind of stood up and and fought for that room was Silverstone and he got the penalty for it. In the sprint race, he he yielded and, and let Verstappen have the room again and lost out on sprint race points. Imola, Spain, we could go on and on about which, and I say on and on because I can't remember the exact races, but Karun Chanduk did a really good breakdown of the times where Verstappen has dived down the inside and, and Hamilton moved the side. We talked last season when he was yielding to Verstappen and it didn't matter. And we said, what would he do when there was a world championship? And look, when there was a world championship, Hamilton yielded seven times out of eight when it really mattered. The championship was decided by seven points. Could it have been different if three of those times he just held his ground and let Verstappen hit him? Well... Certainly, listening to all these points, you can't deny it. it's been the best season that we've had discussing <laughs> on the show. Okay, okay. Uh, but f- for me, you know, there were eight races where they didn't finish one, two. And when you have two clear top dogs in a season, these races, are the, the bigger point swings, are the most important. And sometimes they've been down to just plain being uncompetitive for Mercedes, like in Monaco or races like Baku, where neither of them scored because Max got super unlucky with the puncture and Lewis break magic. We all <laughs> remember uh, that one. Yeah. Um, and races like Austria, which was an odd one where Lewis picks up car damage from a curb and finishes fourth while Max wins. Um, races like Hungary, where Max gets wiped out and Lewis recovers to, oh, to B2. Do you know what you're straying into? You're you're straying into like a, a league of justice. Let's do that. Let's talk about where the season was won and lost. Okay, I'm going to give us 10 minutes for, for this segment before <laughs> moving away from, from the front two. But I think this is really fascinating because I think Mercedes lost through luck, judgment, driver skill, all that more than than Red Bull. So I think potentially in this season, there was more potential points for Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes than there was potential points for Max Verstappen and Red Bull. And I think we can spend 10 minutes arguing about that. Okay, case for Red Bull. All right, let's do, I've got my notepad out here. Let's do some maths on Red Bull. So my first point on where Verstappen could have 
could have gained more points is, let's say, yes, Silverstone is his fault. But given that there are at least six occasions where Hamilton moved slightly to the outside to not get hit by Verstappen, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, as Verstappen's driver coach, if you'd have just given Hamilton a bit more space or even conceded, you'd have had 18 more points straight away. Is that is that fair? Um, 100%, yes. Even though Lewis, in a sort of racing sense, may have caused the issue by understeering into Max as the stewards saw it, when you look back on it, if Max had just done what Lewis had done the previous three corners and giving him all the room in the world, they both would have safely navigated that corner. Yeah. Incidents like that, uh, like at Monza as well, if he hadn't tried to make that move on Lewis, the exact second he had the slightest whiff of an opportunity. Okay, well, to be fair, the Monza one, he actually he actually gained points because by both of them colliding, he stopped hamilton getting ahead so i'm gonna i'm gonna take yes, i'm gonna but, take like four points off his 18 there but, but don't forget that was a race he should have at least finished second in he was he shouldn't have been anywhere near lewis in that race no lewis had a really bad pit stop yeah because max also had a really bad pit stop Oh, okay okay well that max was out. way ahead of lewis at that point trumpets yeah well if there was ever a corner at silverstone where you have some extra room it was the one where that collision happened and they were both aiming to deny each other tactical space and it was an asymmetric outcome and it did cost Verstappen either 18 or 25 points. Take your pick. And it was probably one of the biggest, if you talk to people who are Max Verstappen fans, it is the, one of the biggest swings, but I, as a Baku with the tire, yeah. But I want to go all the way back to the beginning and I want to talk about Bahrain with that missed overtake because he caught Hamilton. He had him, he had him dead to rights, but he went off track to make oh, yeah. the overtake. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he had to give the place back and that cost him alone seven points right there. Okay, I'll, I'll give him, I'll give him seven points for that because we're forgiving driver errors here. So that's absolutely fine. Baku, I, I take it a slight issue with as well because mm. I, look, there, there are two very odd bits of misfortune in Baku. So I'm sure Verstappen fans will say not Verstappen's fault that his tyre went. And I agree. However, from a strategy point of view, his team his team did see Lance Stroll's tyre burst in an unusual fashion. And they were going longer on those tyres. They were at, at the, the higher end of the what they were advised to do with those tyres. So to me, that, that I mean, that kind of happens. There's a history with Pirelli tyres. They do say how long they think the tyres should go for and a tyre randomly exploded in the same place that Verstappen's did. So you could kind of, you could say they were pushing their luck on those tyres. Maybe, but don't forget that thing is cause and effect as well with Lewis because Lewis only not scored points because mm. uh, the race was red flagged and restarted, which is what led to the brake magic issue. Yeah. And some people are saying, well, they don't know why the competitors tie went. Hello, live stream, by the way. However, like I said, Pirelli did issue the, the guidance on how long these tires would last. And and I think the, the brake magic issue, Matt, is, is a similarly, it's a similarly kind of like, oof, you wouldn't, you don't make that mistake twice, put it that way. No, you don't. And you redesign that part. Yeah. And that is what happened. I 
do just out of a sense of nagging fairness need to point out that Pirelli also came out with a whole bunch of guidelines about tire blankets and tire pressures after Baku. And it's a not unreasonable assumption that all of the teams were playing games with tire pressures as well that may have contributed. So if you well, really want yeah. to blame yeah. someone, you could maybe blame the team. But I don't think you can blame Max in this instance. And that's, no, no, no. I think, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't. Jono? I, I always have a theory where I, I look at who is the perfect season F1 champion. So there have been champions in the past where they've uh, been beneficiaries of somebody with bad luck. But... I look at this year and I go, okay, had everybody just raced and there was no luck involved and it was based on pure pace, Max definitely wins the title. You look at plus 10, plus 7 points at Baku. He missed out on at least 18 at Silverstone. Hungary, not being taken uh-huh. out by, oh, yeah, by yeah, Bottas, yeah, yeah, who pinballed everybody. Yeah. Um, you look at Italy, yes, Hamilton would have scored more if he was ahead. Um, and I look back at other races for Lewis as well, such as Brazil, one millimeter or whatever it was with the rear wing cost him three points in the sprint. Oh, at least, at least. I think it's like qualifying. four points. But yeah, but you know, there's <laughs> there's others that you could easily point to as well, like um, Istanbul with the, I mean, God, what a season. I think you might be right, Chris. <laughs> what yeah. a season with Istanbul where Verstappen was essentially nowhere and he was able to just somehow finish second. Like Norris probably should have won that race. Chris? That's not to mention as well, minus uh, 18 for Lewis at Imola, the red flag. That's the biggest bit of luck he's ever had in his uh, yeah. career because he was not scoring points that day. Or if he was, it was going to be a measly number yeah, of yeah, yeah. Uh, points. Um, the, the thing about Turkey as well was, of course, Lewis took the engine penalty and probably still could have just made it onto the podium, but then there was a strategy mishap. Remember, there was all, do yeah. we stop for fresh inters? Yeah. Do we not stop for fresh inters? They did. He finished fifth. So, And I'd not be doing my Hanfosi duty if I didn't say that towards the end of the season, I think uh, I'm still stinging a little bit from Saudi Arabia where the red flag, that I really, I, I haven't yet to be convinced that it was, it was needed, took Bottas out of the fight. So it took, you know, we needed four wins. We, they, because I'm neutral, needed four wins out of four races. But that would have really tipped the scales had Bottas still been second. But that red flag just took Bottas out of the running. And then the brake check, which some, sorry, the alleged brake check that some people think that if you get a couple of penalties in a race and then brake check someone, you know, maybe you are very, very lucky to get a penalty, which effectively doesn't cost you any points. But my my overarching feeling about this season, Matt, and tell me if I'm being too harsh, my overarching season is the when you talk about the Mercedes race plan, they just dropped enough on the strategy to not take and clinch key battles. Cota springs to mind. And I think we've been talking about this for the last few years, Mercedes have a, a wait-and-see attitude which they could afford to do. I think the phrase at the beginning of the season was success hides failure or success masks potential failure. And we even saw it in the final race. You know, they were so defensive. There, there was another universe where all of that happened on Saturday, but, but they had pitted midway through the race and had much, much younger hards and Hamilton could have fought much, much harder. So, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there was definitely enough in the Mercedes tank to win this championship. And at every point, 
they felt like they could claw it back. And really, it should not have come down to the last race for an outfit like Mercedes. Yeah, I think it's entirely reasonable to put it that way. In fact, you tasked us to go back and find. And so I made a list of the points. And, and we've left off a couple of, I think, really important ones. But the turkey thing, that's minus five right there. He could have had third if he just pitted in sequence with the leaders. I think he would have had Perez at the end of it all. Instead, he tried to go one stop, tried to bite a little bit extra off, and they lost out. You know, obviously, um, Hungary, the tire fiasco. Everybody but him came in. Oh, yeah. That's minus seven alone right there. If he just come in, even if everybody else had stayed out, he would have eaten them for breakfast because they would have all had to come right back in. Spa, they didn't get their tires right in qualifying. That that cost him two and a half points if you assume he was going to come second, and five points if you thought he might have won the thing, even at the 12 and a half point level that Max did walk away with. But what we've not talked about at all, and I do want to mention, are the sprint qualifyings. He lost three points in Brazil due to that broken DRS. He lost a point in Silverstone because he dropped a place. And in Monza, he went from P2 to P5 and lost out on two points relative to where Verstappen Mm -hmm. finished. These all mattered at the end of the day. And, And every one of them, you could sort of look at Mercedes being just, like you said, on that knife edge a little bit. What was interesting as well about the couple of the examples you brought up there, Matt, Hungary, and then, of course, the big tyre strategy calls that were made in France and Spain, where the car that was in second place has the advantage because they can react to whatever the car in front does. So in a way, in two of those situations, Mercedes were the victim of their own success. And of course, it happened to the the inverse happened to Max in um, Spain, where Lewis came out on top. But it's uh, an interesting one to think about. It's worth remembering as well that the gains that Mercedes made with their pace were mainly down to just figuring out the car in terms of uh, setup. In terms of upgrades, they brought very little to the table, especially compared to Red Bull and, crucially, Honda. They threw everything at this season because they knew it was their best opportunity. Yeah, yeah and I will say to that to that end, okay, so... There's a uh, an employee of a team that I that I speak to and have contact with for reasons other than Formula One and the podcast. They're completely sort of unrelated to podcast stuff, and I don't I don't like to press them for information. But I cracked the other day and I said, "Who has put who has put more effort into their 22 car? Who has sacrificed 2022 development for this season?" And the answer was very quickly Red Bull. And I, and I think a lot of people are, are of that same opinion. Shocker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If shocker. Red Bull yeah. are fighting for the title next year, I will be stunned. Okay. Okay, <laughs> good. Uh, Jono? Uh, all I'm going to say is, as a Hamilton fan, I am so hungry to see him win an eighth after the way this year ended. And, and if you're a Verstappen fan and he didn't win the title this year, I can't, uh, I feel sorry for you because in my opinion, that Red Bull is not going to be quick next year. Um, so I'm really glad they got the title. We're not going to talk about next year yet. We still have not to yet. wrap up yeah, 2021, yeah, yeah. but I don't know what the pecking order is going to be like. I'll guarantee you it probably won't be a Haas winning the title, despite them putting all their resources into next year. Uh, But anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, There's so much to talk about. 2022 is going to be, wow, Uh, exciting. I'm nearly looking forward to it. I just need a little more time. Uh, 
just a little bit more yes. time, Matt. Just a bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you've brought up the last thing that we need to talk about in terms of the season, which is Mercedes. Last big development was Silverstone. Red Bull had new front wings at the very last race. Kind of says it all. Kind of does. All right. Okay. I am actually interested, Matt, and I'm not just pandering to the Tifosi. There has been a long arc with with Ferrari, and uh, there have been seeds of recovery. But the thing is, it's been a long time since, I guess, it's been very important who is the best Ferrari driver. And, and this season, I think, has been something of a, an unexpected turnaround for some people. I w- you would probably argue not you. But certainly Charles Leclerc was heralded as the kind of the next in line, the next chosen one, the next Schumacher, Alonso, Vettel, the next one to take that Ferrari mantle forward. Also, though, I, I, I'm wary of damning Ferrari with faint praise, Matt, because this is still a bad season for Ferrari in context of being Ferrari. It was not where they wanted to be, but given what happened with their power unit, I think it was the optimal outcome for them. What happened with their power unit, Matt? Uh, they had that settlement with the FIA. What was the settlement, Matt? Um, we don't know because okay. it was what do you think um, it was? confidential. What do you think uh, it was, They though? stopped doing something that was never proved to be illegal because the FIA couldn't okay. prove it. Do you think it was illegal? Arrangement. Do you think it was illegal? What do you think? Uh, it's only illegal if it can be proved. Okay. That's what I would say, according to my lawyer. We wouldn't, we wouldn't want to get sued, would we? I think it was maybe illegal. Not. I think it was illegal, Chris. Uh, maybe. <laughs> who, who am I to say? For, for me, the Ferrari battle has been one of the most entertaining um, of yeah, the season. I think so. Battle with yeah. McLaren for third in the constructors as well. Just absolutely brilliant. I put Norris and Sainz in my uh, top five drivers of the season, hands down. And for Sainz to come in to, to Leclerc's home, you know, he was the one with the, the long term deal. He's mm. their future. And you, Sainz has waltzed in you, and yeah. properly, properly given it to Leclerc. You come into Maranello and you mess with my number one status. <laughs> that was an impression of Leclerc, Jono. Uh, is it really your yeah. your French is uh, spot on? I'll, I'll give you that much. Thank the, you. the Brits know how to speak Monegasque, um, but whatever, <laughs> racist. Um, yes, correct. Now, no, no disrespect to to Carlos Sainz. I think he drove phenomenally, and and he is a, I think, underrated as a talent in F one. But look back at Charles Leclerc's year. He finished five points behind, missed out on a sure win or second place at Monaco. What? Uh, missed. Well, if had he not crashed in qualifying. No, I'm going to agree with that. No, yes, I, I don't agree with that. Okay, right. This is a great subject, Monaco, because somebody on Twitter went, Charles Leclerc did really well at Monaco. I, he would not have got that pole if it was not for the yellow flags that were caused by his crash. And his crash Potentially, yeah. ended up costing him a gearbox, which failed during the race because Ferrari were like, <laughs> nah, we'll risk it. It'll be all right, which I can kind of get down with because otherwise it would have just been another midfield race. This is, Jono, I get what you're saying. But the Monaco race is an example of Leclerc's failings, surely. So Beth, I'm getting to that point. Oh, okay, so okay, my, okay. my point is he lost, let's say, 25 to 15 to 10 points, whatever. He's lost the amount or the difference in advantage between him and Carlos Sainz. Hungary, 
taken out by a driver who I've already trashed in this podcast. I won't trash again, who doesn't know how to brake. So, <laughs> you, <laughs> okay. He's lost a number of points there as well. Now, I'm not to say that Carlos Sainz hasn't been good, but he's capitalized on a few races, such as Russia, such as Hungary, um, and races where he scored a lot more points in extenuating circumstances than Charles Leclerc. But my concern for Charles Leclerc is the races where he went missing and was very, like, nowhere on pace. Those are the races I'd be concerned with, not the overall points difference between him and his teammate. Sainz was on the podium more. I think he was in a position to benefit from a bit of of luck when there was a podium to nab. Leclerc had a lot of fourth place finishes. So, you know, if something had gone slightly differently in those races, he would have maybe ended up on the podium as well. Leclerc had the better finish of second place at Silverstone, led that race all the way up until about two to go or whatever it was. It's been so, so close between them. For me, Leclerc just misses out on that top five uh, slot. Uh, but I would be really, really interested to see how their rivalry changes if they eventually do start fighting up at the front again. It will be interesting. Um, To me, Leclerc has been too peaky. And I'm just going to share this with you that from from Styria onwards, Sainz was nothing but in the top 10. Mm Mm-hmm including three podiums, four overall in the season. And that's versus Leclerc with one. And and that's where the difference was made. I mean, yeah, there were plenty of races where Leclerc was faster, qualified better, did better. But at the end of the day, it's that relentless consistency. And I do have to just mm. take a little side branch. Botas beat Perez like a gong wow, in the why, championship. Why and that's why Mercedes won the Constructors' Championship. That's really random. I will not. I will not tolerate Bottas being disrespected by an Australian. Oh, hang on a minute. Okay, okay. That's a real big tangent. We can roll back to that at the end of the season. I think we've covered the battle of the number twos fairly extensively. Just uh, the points. That's I all. I just want Jono to come back in, and then we'll go Wait, to Chris. Did I Chris- say something? Uh, you mean Stroll, not Bottas? In Hungary, I thought it was Bottas yeah. that took everyone out. No, no, no. Stroll hit no. Leclerc in that race. Stroll there were two hit Leclerc. separate incidents. There. Okay, yeah. okay, John. That wasn't. Oh, yeah, I was going to say. I'm like, yeah. Well, can I take that to court now? That, yeah, no, yeah, no. you can. No, you, you apologize you're, to Jono. Your your appeal yeah, it, has been objected objected uh, <laughs> because Matt is the judge. Uh, we we just figured out. We just reminded all our listeners of what a catastrophe that Hungary start was. So um, I think we figured that out in the last <laughs> yeah, minute or so, Chris. In their battle with McLaren as well, uh, remember McLaren started the season with the superior car, I think undeniably. And then Ferrari came in with the, with the big power unit upgrade as well, but the the ERS system, which really swung things. Um, the fact that Norris ended up behind Sainz in the World Championship speaks volumes about how much McLaren dropped the ball towards the end of the season. Admittedly, they did most of the season with a hand tied behind their back because of Daniel Ricciardo's struggles, while Ferrari most definitely had two horses yeah, in that race. Yeah, Australia. Pardon the pun. Um, but, uh, you know, and McLaren in contention for wait, two wait, victories. Wait. Uh, we'll, go to, we'll go to McLaren next. I really, I just, I want to stay with Leclerc and, and Sainz because I, I'm just fascinated. If, if Ferrari are competitive next season, how that's going to go. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I, I think that this season has been quite similar to Leclerc's previous seasons. So here's what I'm going to say. Charles Leclerc is a talent and is fast. I think people have crowned him way too early as a, a potential future world champion because, as Matt says, he has been very peaky, not just this this season, throughout his season. If you're driving at Sauber, who did he beat at Sauber? Marcus Ericsson? Yeah. You can look great at Sauber. You can beat Marcus Ericsson, and like Gasly in the Toro Rosso, who has been really good, yes, if you win Monza spectacularly, that looks amazing. If you're Lando Norris in a in a unfancied McLaren in last season and you pull off the odd podium, yes, you look fantastic, but you're not analysed and scrutinised to the same level as you are in a top team. And if you look at Charles Leclerc, Chris... Look at the practice sessions that he has stuffed in. Look at the amount of times he has crashed and, and cost his team repair time. Look at the amount of times he's made mistakes at qualifying. He is all out, win or bin, and is that how you win a title? Okay, well, uh, Schumacher used to stuff it in the wall plenty during practice sessions, yeah, so I'm not having that Schumacher as an was racing against... in the 90s against bums. Come on, man. And Right. Um, I, I kind of can't have this whole Leclerc's kind of, what, I don't know, lucked into a position no, of... No, I didn't say lucked of, in. Uh, you know. But I'm saying the, he's the, had... The, spectac- uh, image? I'm saying he's had spectacular results. He's he's looked good against Ericsson. He's, he's, he's looked good against a, in my opinion, overrated and past his peak uh, Vettel. And he looked good in a season where Ferrari clearly were probably favouring... Charles Leclerc over Vettel, of which Ferrari have an MO of doing. I'm just saying we haven't really seen okay. Leclerc tested until this season, and he's failed. Well, okay, he's I failed. wouldn't say failed, he's because failed. Five, five points is a very mediocre difference in what has been 
ultra competitive okay. midfield. <laughs> Carlos Sainz has been his best teammate for sure. He was Max Verstappen's best teammate as well. Yeah. If anything, this makes me respect Carlos Sainz more and more. Sure, um, but but uh, yeah, I th- you, you, Leclerc has probably struggled in the midfield more than Carlos because Carlos has been fighting in that midfield for longer especially in, in, in Formula One. You've got to remember as well, Leclerc in the junior categories pretty much had I, it all his own way. I, as hang well. on a minute. Leclerc's Where, been uh, in the midfield. When's Leclerc not been in the midfield? 2019? Pff, mostly. I mean, everyone yeah. behind Mercedes Sainz. was midfield. Science has got more experience <laughs> as well in terms of years. I, I personally think that we're overthinking this more than Lewis's 2011 season where he was beaten by button i i I truly think that charles leclerc was the better driver this year on pure pace when they were equal carlos Sainz took advantage and scored more points in races where there was a lot of luck at play um so to finish five points behind science goes to show how well charles leclerc drove this year Uh, i think we'll come back next year in 2022 and whilst I do agree with your point, Spanners, in that he does need to clean up a few things, such as crashing in practice and all these kind of uh, these tidbits here and there, um, he's still the better driver. And next year, you'll see him finish ahead of points. Oh man, I, uh, Matt, I hate this. I hate it when you're right about things. I really, really dislike it. And there's been well, since 2014, there's only been yeah. like four occasions, and this is like the fourth one. But I'm with you. I I will certainly be cheering on signs next season in that Ferrari battle. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that a, a Leclerc has faster overall pace in terms of qualifying. Mm-hmm. But Sainz gets the absolute most out of, and frankly, if he'd not been betrayed by some poor strategy calls, it might have been closer than it was going into the last race. I do feel compelled to point out, um, because I am going to bang, we're going to bang on McLaren and Norris a little bit here for the last part of their season. Sure. But were it not for that puncture, he might very well have been the person who took that place instead of signs. Okay. I will point out, I think that we've got to stop giving so much weight to how good a qualifier you are. Because I think in modern F1, I think a lot of old sweats like you and me, Matt, we value qualifying, you know, in the days of it's one thing to catch a car, it's quite another to pass. Those days have, have more or less gone. And now race pace is king. Setting up for qualifying hurts you, and and I think it was Lewis Hamilton really against Nico Rosberg in 2015 that just showed that you know if if you set up for the race, if you practice for the race, being an out and out great qualifier isn't the be all and end all, and 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 we'll probably I know you don't want to disrespect Valtteri Bottas, but that is probably the starkest example of how qualifying pace really in modern F1 isn't the biggest thing you need, Chris. In defense of McLaren as well, because Matt brought up the we can We can move to McLaren. That, Go on, let's that, do McLaren now. Well, yeah, Matt, Matt said Norris had the puncture. He had two punctures in the last few races of the season, Qatar and Abu Dhabi. And let's, of course, not forget that Norris got royally screwed over by the red flag in uh, Saudi. All right. Well, as much <laughs> as we want to say that as much as we want to say that Ferrari is going through a transition from its alleged definitely using too much fuel in that season where they had a secret agreement and then got told to basically get nerfed by themselves for the next few seasons. McLaren also are on a bit of a redemption tour as well. It's been crazy watching McLaren go from 2012 when, my goodness, they had the pace to win a championship. They had the driver to win the championship. And then suddenly 2013, 
they were slipping out of the top 10 in qualifying. And they go, we'll get it back. We'll get it back. And then taking the gamble to go to Honda and that just not going well. But then seeing Honda do very, very well <laughs> at the next team they went to. Frankly, the last decade has been an unmitigated disaster for, for McLaren. But we've seen a bit of a comeback, Chris. We've seen Zach Brown come in there. And even though there was a wave of skepticism because he was meant to be the money man, but in his first couple of years, no one wanted to go and give money to McLaren. But they do seem to be turning a corner. They did look good at the beginning of the season. And and could their lack of form at the end of 2021, in fact, be a, a beacon of hope for 2022? Maybe. I certainly expect McLaren to be one of the teams taking a step forward um, next season with the new technical regulations. But yeah, you mentioned Zach Brown. He has been so key in McLaren's turnaround. The culture mm. shift um, you know, from McLaren believing wholeheartedly that they had the best chassis on the grid. And the sole reason that they weren't <laughs> winning races was because of the Honda power unit, which they fully, fully were not working together on, unlike Red Bull yeah. and AlphaTauri, for example. Uh, and then getting found out when they switched to Renault engines. Um, the, that team is unrecognizable now. And, uh, you know, bringing in Andreas Seidel has been a big part of that as well. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's been night and day. And um, they definitely came out of the blocks this season very, very strong. They did. And I really firmly believe that what you're looking at, because the battle between McLaren and Ferrari was epic, not just between the individual drivers, but between the teams. But yep. what you're seeing at the end of the day is a difference essentially in money and resource, where Ferrari has a massive upper hand. I think also you could say that Mercedes' power unit this season was renowned for degrading more quickly and more, and that they were coming into that tail of their curve right when Ferrari upgraded their power unit. And that also, I believe, played a real part, because it's stark. If you look at the first half of the season, it was all top fives and sixes for Norris with the occasional good result for Ricardo. Yeah. Second half of the season, it was all bottom half of the top 10 at best. And and I think both of those factors played a role in that. It's funny that you mention that because every time I think of Ferrari, apart from Toyota, they are the team who over budget and under deliver for a lot of seasons. So it's good to see them finally now after two years recover from their alleged illegal power unit that they may have had. Um, it's not alleged. It's it was, illegal. It definitely it's, was illegal. It's illegal. It's illegal. Yeah, just letting you know. We didn't say that, though. Um, one other thing I was going to mention was Norris pretty much, uh, and I saw this uh, about a few hours ago. I went to sleep. I woke up, so I can't remember if this was in my dreams or not. I'm pretty sure this is true, that <laughs> Norris actually led science on points the entire season until the Abu Dhabi puncture, and that's when science overtook him. Now, you can bring the question up, did McLaren drop the ball? I don't think so. I think Ferrari just stepped it up. And they managed to, to claw back that disadvantage they've had for two years since the illegal power unit. We've got to remember as well that Daniel Ricciardo has had big struggles this season, not been on pace with Norris for the majority of it. Seems to be down to this weird handling quirk that the McLaren has that Carlos Sainz actually noted <laughs> this year. There was a story about the, he walks past him in the paddock and says, uh, oh, yeah, she's a bit of a, a, a weird one, isn't she? And uh, Daniel's really been struggling to get on top of that. 
Uh, and that, for me, is a really big swing in the constructors' battle at the very least. Unlike signs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, look, this is a point, Matt, that we've we've banged the drum on several times, which is yeah, beginning of the season, and I think we 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 expected it, so it wasn't unexpected. But we were talking about let's give the drivers who are changing cars six Grand Prix. But actually, apart from signs, Sonoda, Perez, uh, who Perez actually started probably one of the brightest out of the ones that changed, but Sonoda, Perez, Ricciardo, Vettel all struggled with their new cars, not to mention the the two rookies it has. So, so I can't help but feel that something about the 2022 regulations made it hard to switch teams. Yeah, I would agree with you. And in fact, uh, our friend Summers is in the chat and he just, oh, noted, he just noted that the French Grand Prix was the last update from McLaren. Oh, okay. Well, that kind of bodes well for 2022, Chris. Remember as well that uh, apart from Science, who at Ferrari had access to all the old cards and a Fiorano test track, uh, the new drivers basically had uh, what was it a day and a half of preseason testing to get up to speed. And not forgetting as well, if you were one of the unlucky guys who was in the car the day there was the sandstorm and there was practically zero running, you had even less than that. Mm. So uh, for me, it was not a so much of a surprise to see the guys who would jump ship in the off-season, yeah. struggling, especially at the beginning of the year. Vettel. Vettel was the was the mm. sixth one to struggle as well. I think we'll, we'll do Aston Martin, and, and mm-hmm. then we'll do the awards. John has come up with some good awards, I think. Uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt, what, 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 what? I think we were going to talk about Alpine and Alphatari. Oh, we, we can get to that as well. But before we move on from McLaren, we really haven't uh, we have talked about the drivers. What I want to do really is, is stake our 2022 bet. So, Jono, you're Australian, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I would ordinarily expect you to defend Daniel Ricciardo. I, I genuinely, genuinely think he is going to take that battle to Lando Norris in 2022. Yes, at the moment it's bearish based on his overall pace over the course of the season, but we don't know how he's going to appear in in the new car next year. There were people talking to me this year saying, oh, is Daniel Ricciardo finished? Is he done? Listen, he is not at some races like he was eight tenths a lap slower than Lando Norris. And Lando Norris is a tremendous driver, Mm. but that is not a talent gap that is something fundamentally wrong with ricardo getting used to the team yeah i agree car something yeah. different so um i think next year mm. go on i don't know what to think i don't know here's my be t- even right I reckon. Nah, well, here's my take even ish on pace I-, I would even say lando norris slightly ahead on raw pace but lando norris is still a mm-hmm. young driver and he is still suffering from yep. The same thing that we've been talking about, which is the the early Lewis Hamilton syndrome, the early Max Verstappen win or bin, the Leclerc pushing way too hard and being much more on the potential reward side than the risk averse side. I think Lando Norris is still peaky. I'll use Matt's term. I think Lando Norris is still peaky. Lando Norris is not the final form of Lando Norris. Daniel Ricciardo is a finished driver who was struggling this season. I think they line up next season, Chris, with Norris the slightly faster driver and Ricciardo winning on points overall. So I agree with everything that Jono has said here. No, me, me you agree. Now, with, you, you misspoke. You mean you well, agree with you. everything I said? <laughs> that being said, <laughs> if McLaren are as competitive 
next year as they were this year, maybe even a little bit more, which I would expect. I fully anticipate Norris to take his first Grand Prix win. Oh yeah, I, I mean that. I don't think that's yeah, a yeah. terribly controversial because he was robbed this year. He, 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 well, hang on, oh, he, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> by the rain. What, what was he robbed by? Oh, I don't want to get. He was deep robbed into by rain. <laughs> robbed by the by rain. rain. They told him to come in, and he said, "No, I don't want no, to come in." They told no. him no, they to didn't, come in. They didn't tell him to come in. They didn't tell him to come in. Mercedes told Hamilton to come in, but McLaren, you said, "Do you want it?" He said, "No." They went, "Okay." Even though they had all the same information available to all the other teams, I'm sure they told him to come in. Am I wrong? Have I misremembered that? I, I thought... wrote a whole fi- a whole column on this on your website. <laughs> I don't read. Oh my god! <laughs> Not since Netflix came along. Okay, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But um, certainly since <laughs> Turkey, that felt like a turning point, and that felt really like the end of the Norris McLaren domination Jono and you and you don't want to get mobbed in Australia tomorrow on the filming of Neighbours that you all watch and and, and suddenly have everyone going oh hey Jono don't you remember that after Turkey (laughs) Ricardo was pretty much on par well that was when Ferrari brought in the upgrade Mm. and it made McLaren look a little bit worse because Ferrari improved so um, I'm not trying to blame McLaren's struggles on Ferrari, but it also had McLaren competing for less points uh, at the end of the day as well. Okay, so I don't know if that's a valid argument or not. Couple of quick ones. Let's move to the midfield. I mean, like the proper proper midfield. We sort of went. We went best. We went top. Then we went best of the rest. Now, like proper proper midfield. What, Chris? What? What's wrong with my? Well, no, no. I just I was going to pose a question about the next topic we were going to bring up. Okay, do it. You you be the host. I'll zone in on you. You do the things. Okay. Well, my question is, I've been coming up with some really great questions. Okay. Like, is this the best season of F one ever? My next one is, and to use a term we've been using a lot today, how did a peaky team like Alpine be AlphaTauri <laughs> in the constructors' championship? And there is a simple what? answer to it. Actually, he's God. Well, hang on. Right. Stop saying Alpine, okay? Like, don't don't be like, oh, Alpine, these plucky newcomers. They've just come in and they've done their best. This is Renault, Chris. No, I never, I never said it. I'm, I'm amazed that they managed to beat AlphaTauri. Why? They've got, they're like the biggest car company in the world. Because their car just wasn't as good as AlphaTauri's this season. But Trumpets knows the answer. Well, why because they it? have a three-year-old chassis and a two-year-old power unit. It is not a small task that they did manage to pull it off. Although I think they had a lot of help because Alpha Tauri was really only fighting with one driver. Pierre Gasly scored 77% of their points this season. 77%. Man. I mean, I mean, that's like, uh, and I'm not trying to bring up another Japanese driver, but Yuki Tsunoda's season was like Kazuki Nakajima's back in 2008. And if 2009's anything to go by, he's going to be out of the team very, very soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you not think? Do you not think he's showing some improvement though, Jono? Come on. Uh, look, definitely improvement. Yes, I, I do agree with that. But I, I, I just feel like. I haven't seen a driver like this in the past struggle so much and somehow sort of not revitalize, but at least save their career. Oh, okay. Um, if, he's, if he's the first, uh, best of luck to okay, him. Okay, but Matt, well, we'll point out that Sonoda was the first on my list of the, the six that are, are new cars outside of the rookies at Haas. 
So, you know, he took some time to get up and running. But, man, he looked good wheel to wheel. He 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 was part of the Verstappen vanguard. Uh, he, all right, I'm going to say this. I just feel like, and I feel like Alpha Tauri's delayed response to bringing him into the team, I think they fundamentally did not have a handle on what he needed, the support he needed as a rookie at the beginning of the season. And I think that really, really cost them. And all I got to do is say, look at the last race. Look at the last oh, race. Yeah, they could have full. had a half a yeah. season of that if they'd done it properly. Now, to their credit, they did recognize it and try to fix it. But it was it was a day late and a dollar short, as we like to say over here. See, the thing is, Chris, I like I like to I like to root for one driver in a team. And I am definitely okay. rooting for Yuki. And we will get back to Alpine. Don't worry, Matt. I am you. I am rooting for Shinoda to, to make a good show. Yes. If anything, Abu Dhabi was a, a glimpse of what we should see in 2022. And in defense of Yuki Shinoda, I know I threw him under the bus just now, but <laughs> in defense of Yuki. <laughs> Too late. The, for the majority of this season, he was driving on circuits he had never raced on uh, before. And he is up against, in my opinion, one of the most underrated. Well, maybe he's not underrated because everyone says it now. But, you know, Pierre Gasly was my other top five driver of the season. And he's a great big benchmark to put Yuki up against. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna play Spanner's role for a sec and shift the uh, <laughs> shift the topic back to LP now. So because I'm sick of talking about Sonoda, because uh, let's forget about him. El Plan, I mean, like what's happening with El Plan? This was the thing from for a year and a half now that when Alpine signed Fernando Alonso that it was all resources to 2022. Are we forgetting that this team could potentially win the championship next year? Oh, this is like Honda uh, no, in no. 2009. Okay, <laughs> really? Okay, okay. So I've missed this whole L plan thing. Mm-hmm. Does, is this like, what is it, Chris? Well, so basically when Renault came back in five years ago and said in five years, we're going to be fighting for race wins and world titles. They aren't. So now they're just yeah. going to keep pushing that that benchmark <laughs> back a little bit until until they do. But in fairness, you know, Fernando Alonso is the best asset that team. He's lost none of the magic, hasn't he? Turned up two races out of the boat and initial struggle for the first couple of races. But after that, bang, straight back to the old magic. I, I just think of Honda back in 2008 and the budget they had for that year. And then you look at the car in 2009. I'd love to see the budgets this year and see how much money has been put into the sport by each team. Yes, there's a budget cap, but there's still a discrepancy as well. Alpine's plan was to sign Alonso, put all their resources into 2022. I don't think they're going to win the title, but they could. And we have to be fair. The, re- the years they were aiming at, these because of COVID and other things, these regulations keep on getting pushed back. Plus, they have a brand new technical team now with Vitkowski. And I, I think if you look at their performance at the end of the season, that shows that they are maybe finally getting a handle technically on the car and why it's behaving the way it is. But let's face it, the only reason I really wanted to bring Alpina. <laughs> we know. It's because of something Chris wrote in the notes, which is that Ocon had better be careful. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you name the only teammates Alonso has ever had that have beaten him in qualifying? No, you tell us, please. Truly and Hamilton. Ocon tied him in qualifying. No one else has even come vaguely close. And were it not 
for the virtual safety car at Abu Dhabi, he would have tied him on races too in terms of being ahead at the end of the race. Plus, he had a race win and very nearly he had a podium in Saudi Arabia. So you can you can write those things in the notes, Chris, but I'm telling you right now, <laughs> Alcon is seriously underrated especially if you look at how Alonso has done against Chris, all of his teams. Alex, what have I, I told you about writing Ocon stuff in the notes? Right. You've got to mug him mid-show, I, okay? Prob- Please learn for 2022. The problem with Ocon is that on a more consistent basis, he was behind Fernando. And even though he got the mm. race win, Fernando was the one who came out on top in the championship. And for me, there is not really an excuse for a 40-year-old driver to be beating a young up-and-gut, regardless of what we think of Fernando Alonso and how he ranks among the greats of the sport as a double world champion. At this point, Ocon should be, I think, ahead of Fernando. I think we said this in our pre-season show at some point, that Ocon needs to really stick it to Alonso this year. And for me, he just just hasn't. And when they've got someone like Oscar Piastri waiting in the wings... I don't think they'll think twice about swapping that out, especially if uh, yeah we think Ocon is the future of Mercedes, for example. No, no, no. Sorry, John. We do have to let Matt get in because he looks oh. very upset. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I'm not upset. It's just I feel sad for Chris because he's so very uh, delusional about this. <laughs> you haven't seen me very upset. <laughs> no. First of all, three DNFs to two DNFs. Second of all, he had that whole episode with the uh, bent chassis that cost him essentially three races in the middle of the season. And again, were it not for the virtual safety car, he would have been either tied with Alonzo or ahead on points. So, so your, your argument, I appreciate that Alonzo at age 700 or whatever he is now may <laughs> mm-hmm. not be the racer that won two world championships, but he's not far off it either. Okay. And you could see, you could see it when he was in the car and on top of it exactly how good he uh, the battle with hamilton really tell me he's lost all that much and look at look at the job ocon's doing who also lost a whole season himself ocon seems like a nice lad he's clearly fast but let's look let's look from a career point of view matt i'm going to ask you to defend your fandom of esteban ocon because if this was a world championship contender he should have beaten a talented journeyman like Sergio Perez by a fair bit. He should have beaten Ricardo. He should have beaten an aging Alonso. And those things haven't really happened. He would have beaten Perez if Perez didn't drive into him multiple times in <laughs> Singapore. <laughs> he qualified third at Spa in the wet in a Force India that had no budget at all. He basically tied Ricardo as a newcomer to the team. Basically. He pulled the signs. I mean, signs didn't necessarily beat the, when he moved to Renault, he didn't beat whoever was there initially either, but he ran him a very good as a newcomer. He ran him very, very close. And frankly, you know, the same for Alonso, who was perhaps the best teammate he's ever had. He tied him with way less experience. And and I just say, the fact that you saw Toto having a long conversation with him tells me everything I need to know about the job he's really doing at that team and against, you know, one of the best drivers that has been on the grid in the last 20 years. 
do we think next year if Alpine show up to the first round and they don't have a championship winning car, that's probably going to be Alonso's final year. Yeah. And so what that means is there's going to be a door open for Oscar Piastri. If there's nothing available at Mercedes, Ocon stays. I think he's under contract, isn't he, for a couple more years? Two years. Yeah. Two years. Exactly. And uh, which actually, let's remember when he signed that contract, he had a horrific run of races after that. That's just the uh, complacency of signing a multi-million dollar deal. Anyway, after he got his contract. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's that's all my point is that, look, um, I think the pressure is more on Alonso here to win a championship than it is on Esteban Ocon, who has uh, pretty much low risk, high reward by beating a former two-time world champion, potentially should have been four-time world champion. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other one... uh... To, to look at here briefly is Aston Martin, Matt. Uh, Matt. Uh, last season, obviously, the, the clone, the file of facts of the 2019 car, they were unable to replicate that. I guess the regulations made it impossible for them to, to do any kind of clone copy of the 2020 Mercedes, and it, it, it all looked desperate. And I have to say, Lance Stroll did look decent against Vettel in the first half of the season but I think in the second half of the season I mean there's no doubt if we take into account if we if we are consistent with kind of forgiving the the moving drivers a a little bit of grace at the beginning of the season I mean it's fairly obvious that Sebastian Vettel is a better driver than Lance Stroll that was predictable was predicted it's non-controversial so I think that's maybe a more straightforward one yeah, I would agree. Aston was lost this season because they couldn't copy Mercedes' homework, which is what they did. Allegedly. And Jesus, I come I have on, guys. my theories. Well, there's no allegedly about it. You ask anyone who studies car design, and those cars were identical enough to call them identical. Well, they were penalized for it. So. Oh, okay. Well, no, that was for the. No, hang on, hang on, hang on. That was just for the brakes. That was just for the brake thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was pass, the only pass. bit they copied. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, Merce- and Ferrari never had an illegal engine either. I mean, <laughs> geez, if we're going to go there. Oh, yeah. I forgot we'd already. We may as well get sued by Ferrari and Aston Martin, <laughs> mightn't we? Um, so, look, Lance Stroll has come under a lot of flack from certain podcast hosts over over the years. I think he is demonstrating a competence and a a, a great way of conducting himself. He is He is never a crashy driver. He is unspectacular. I think it's not controversial to say that a driver of his talent or the talent that he's demonstrated would be unlikely to have survived five years in F1 or had the path that he's had. But given that he's where he is now, let's say that Aston Martin do turn up randomly because it does happen in a Braun F1 2009 scenario and Vettel comes out of the blocks winning. I just... I'm really, really curious about how that goes, Jono. Do you, do you think, let's say Aston Martin come out of the blocks for the first seven races, they're the fastest car. Wow. What happens when Vettel starts winning races? That would be so unexpected. I've never thought of no, that No, no, no. But I'm, okay, look, it's <laughs> completely it's, uh, unprepared for this topic. Sure. Yeah. I know, because it's unlikely. If it happens. The, if it the, happens, the main yes. aim is, what is the politics with the drivers at Aston Martin? Oh, Vettel will will clean up that title if they have a dominant car. As I said, and with you know, again, not don't mean to trash Lance Stroll for the third time this podcast, but oh. to me, a, a sign of who a good driver is is if somebody dive bombs you, are you able to notice that while turning into a corner? If you can't do that as a driver, like Lance Stroll did at Brazil, 
I, I, you just don't have it. You just don't cut it. And I know he's had his his stellar performances every now and then, some great qualifying performances. Every some now and races, then is the key there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Vettel is has got the experience, and I think this year Vettel showed that he was um, the far superior driver and much more motivated too in a different team. Yeah, definitely. But I, I still, Matt, I get the feeling. I, I, I get the feeling that if Aston Martin ever get that championship winning car, the whole point was to give Lance Stroll a chance at the title. I, I, I can't see them just going, ah, well, Vettel win it. We'll be happy with second in the chat. I just can't see it. I can't see it. But on the other hand, Vettel strikes me as the kind of person who is at the stage of their career. You just accept <laughs> it, maybe. He's yeah. going to grab it and wring it by the neck until he's dead. Yeah. If you know what I mean. He, he won't let go of that. And he will make them... Uh, I forget which pass. It was a Ferrari pass where someone had to give up the position. And the person who had to give it up just made it so obvious Massive. that it was Alonso. a... T- it, it, yeah, he's, it was Matt, and he just like basically pulled over and ordered a pizza and said, oh, yeah, oops, <laughs> look, there goes my teammate who is clearly faster. And I feel like if it happens at Aston and it goes to Stroll, Vettel's going to like exponentially do more than that. But Vettel at all does not have a record of disobeying team orders. Oh, now then, that is interesting. So for context, I know we have a lot of viewers who won't have been watching since 2013. Of course, the famous case in Sepang where he was told not to attack Mark Webber for the lead of the race. And he went ahead and just did it. Yes, and Christine Horn saying that's very silly, Seb. That's a very pertinent uh, point you've raised there because I just want to have a a little word about our admin in the off-season. So my plan was on the 26th to to have actually... (laughs) Believe it or not, Chris, a segment with with uh, Jeff, who has done a, a F1 teammate battle segment with us before about multi twenty one and talking about that really? five year battle between Sebastian Vettel and uh, or was it a four year battle? S- Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber at Red Bull four year five it was, five was it oh nine to thirteen right oh nine to thirteen yes so that was the plan to do that talk to a a, a massive uh, US. A podcasts f1 representative to talk about how the united states has basically taken over formula one from a fan point of view and then i've got some great meet the panel segments recorded so i've recorded one with chris with matt with brad ellen and jono as well and i'm going to spread those out over the off season as well however that might get usurped by a, a tech time review if we can hook that up chris Who's who's was best between the five of us? Uh, oh, here we go. I'll be honest. Mine. No, I'll be honest. Yours, Chris, was the best segment that we recorded. <laughs> I knew it, and not because any knew. of them were bad. I just particularly enjoyed what you brought and uh, and your journalistic motorsport style. All right, it's just look. the end of year perk I needed. Yeah, I knew you needed a win. That's why <laughs> I, I threw you the W. Jono. Yes, sir. You're on like Twitter and that, aren't you? Uh, for sure. I'm at Johnny S8. J O N N Y E S S 8. Remember, somebody already took my name and about 100 deviations of my name. So that's, that's the best name an, I could come up with. Just an awful, awful Twitter handle. Well, I, if I'm you, not famous yet, mate. I'll it, get myself it, my full name soon. If you feel bad, Chris used to be Chris 
underscore Stevens underscore journal underscore. But we bullied him so much that he changed it to Chris on racing. You love keeping this narrative around yep. and the fact that it had nothing to do with my career change. No, nope, you just admire me so much. You hated my scorn. But Jono, uh, we will link to your terrible handle in the show notes below and everyone's and the uh, the ways that you can support us will all be in the show notes on your app or YouTube. Uh, but Jono, uh, you suggested some awards we could give out. So don't feel like everyone on the panel needs to give an award for every single one. But if you have one, Raise your hand and uh, and we'll respond appropriately. Jono, what awards would you like us to give out? So these are going to start off typical and then we're going to get into prop awards, like interesting ones that you wouldn't normally think of. We don't have names for all of these. If you're listening okay. and you're in the comments, feel free to suggest some names to us and we can go along with the flow uh, while okay. whilst we're live. So the first one mm-hmm. is the best driver and team of the year not necessarily the champion but who was the best driver and team of the year the best the best driver and team so the best driver team combo no 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 not a combo separate separate oh okay so that's two awards yes okay so who would you anyone's got a candidate for driver of the year chris looks like you've got one well it's just easiest max verstappen isn't it really because he won because he won the title that's Hence that no, I'm only kidding. Um, if if I was going to pick someone outside of the top two, I would make it Lando Norris. Oh, really? That's interesting because I might have gone that way if it had been a mid-season award. But now I'm I'm finding it very hard to go anywhere else except Carlos Sainz to be the, the. If you're talking pound for pound F1 driver this season, hard to go past Carlos Carlos Sainz, surely. Well, Lando's the best pay driver on the grid, so. Uh... That was a comment from the chat room. Uh, oh. Come on, don't don't forget he he brings a substantial amount of money. To Would you like a team. shovel to go with that comment? He just happens to be immensely talented as okay, well. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, Chris. Okay, here's the difference: you are a pay driver. <laughs> if if you have funds because of who you are, you're a pay driver. And I will agree that Lando Norris was a pay driver all the way up to F1. However, M- McLaren genuinely want. Lando Norris to drive for them and he pays yeah. them. So he's not a paid driver anymore. Lance know, Stroll would only get paid by Aston Martin. No one else on the grid is paying Lance Stroll. He, therefore, he's a paid driver. Same for Mazepin, same for Latifi. Uh, who's the other billionaire on the grid? I, 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 look, I, was, I was trying to make a funny. Oh, okay, um, obviously, the, the answer <coughs> Summers has reminded me is Nicholas Latifi. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Uh, what's the next? Uh, Matt, go on. Sorry, Matt, you've got one. Well, you know, I'm going to say Ocon just so I fit in the rest of my Ocon statistics. I didn't get in earlier. He wasn't even the best driver at Alpine. <laughs> he won a race. He led more laps than anyone besides Hamilton, Verstappen, and Botas. He was the quickest to 200 out of all the Formula One drivers. He had the least off tracks, and he had the least amount of crash damage. And show me a team principal that would want anything more than that. Okay, John, I'm going to ask you to pick uh, two. I'm going to, Sophie's choice here. I'm going to pick, ask you to pick two of your awards here for us to, to argue over. Okay, this one will be obvious, but I just like the name of it. The Luca Badoa Award for the <laughs> slowest and worst driver on the grid after his shambles of a 2009 fill-in for Felipe Massa. And let's go with the breakout driver of the year. So like your most improved. Oh, okay, so best qualifier slash Luca Badoa award. I, I think it's hard to look beyond Bottas, isn't it, for that? Just having that raw, 
qualifying power and then just going absent in races. Chris? Well, no, if the award is for qualifier, is it, is it specifically tailored to qualifying, Jono? Yeah, the Luca Battle Award. So you're talking okay. like Nikita Mazepin's going to win this. Yeah. Don't even it, try to... Yeah. If we're just talking about qualifiers, I don't think you can give it to Bottas because nine times out of ten, he's within just a tenth of, of Hamilton. Yeah, that's the whole point actually, with Luca Badoa was that he was a good qualifier and but didn't keep it in the race. Well, I, I say this of, of 2009 Luca Badoa, who was about 15 seconds off the pace in those two races he filled in. <laughs> okay, well, um, that's unfair yeah, to yeah. Luca Badoa, I would say. Sorry, um, but yes, but yeah, I think if you, if you want to talk about best out-and-out qualifiers on the grid, it, it's, it's an almost nothing award, really, because I don't think qualifying is that important in modern Formula 1. And they had the best overtaker award, which Vettel ended up winning. And surely that is just rewarding teams that have figured out that you're not really supposed to bother with qualifying. And who are the wily old foxes that have figured that out? Fernando Alonso, Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel were the contenders for the most overtakes because they just went, quali's not that important. But the Badawa Award goes to Ricardo, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Biggest gap Ricardo, teammate. Yeah, Ricardo or Mazepin, for sure. Oh, okay. Both of them share that. And you want a best breakout driver? Yeah, and, and mm. chat, by the way, if you can name this one, I couldn't come up with a name for the for the most improved or, or breakout driver of the year. Let us know. Oh, hang sure. on, but hang I... on, hang on a second. We're coming under grief for saying surely George Russell should get <laughs> the, the Mr. Sa- he, he's been dubbed Mr. Saturday, and I know mm. Chris won't appreciate this, but come on, Chris. Nicholas Latifi is unlikely to be later proved as one of the great qualifiers. George Russell has been yeah. fighting bums on a Saturday, and that's why he's looked amazing. The, the Williams car is a good qualifier this season. For sure. Do you know what? Russell, I think, goes into my top 10 drivers of the season. It, what I think is nice as well is that, um, obviously, he got the podium at, at Spa, the Chambolle of a race. Yeah. And uh, But what's interesting is, even without that result, they still would have beaten Alfa Romeo in the championship. So that mm. result is kind of void, in in, in my opinion. Um, and the oh, the end position is justified. So you can definitely say that Williams have had a, an improved car. Um, and unfortunately, it's been a bit peaky, to use that word again. So if you want to talk breakout driver, I, I, I think mm-hmm. I'm going to immediately disagree with myself. But the driver <laughs> who has looked best against their teammate, outside of George Russell, is probably Mick Schumacher. So surely Mick Schumacher is our breakout driver of the year. Well, Mick's chucked here at the scenery quite a few times. Yeah. More than Mazepin, <laughs> yeah. I think, actually. Imola, Imola, wasn't it as well? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, I, that being said, I'd rather he does it now in a more or less consequence-free year compared to next mm. season when they might actually be fighting for something. The only consequence was the fact that they were going to run out of spare parts at some point, after, especially after the <laughs> double DNF in um saudi um yeah for me i i think it has been too uncompetitive to kind of quantify either driver really against the rest of the field well the chat room is suggesting that we consider our good old friend bobby k because in only two (laughs) races with no practice he still somehow managed to come 20th instead of 21st in the championship yep nikita maspin finished 21st 
uh, out of 20th. And uh, as funny as that may seem, I, I'm inclined to agree with Matt that the Haas is not something to judge any driver on. However, the gap between them was stark in qualifying. It was even starker during the race. And, and one of two things is true. Either Mick Schumacher is a, a, a phenomenon and a talent of our generations, and that has made Nikita Mazepin look terrible, or Mick Schumacher has had a decent first season, and Nikita Mazepin has been shown to be not up to Formula One standard. Hard to argue. Whatever for, I mean, because he had some good F2 races and I just haven't seen any hint of it at all. So either the team has really just got it all the way wrong, which surprises me given his dad pays for it. Yeah. Or, um, or it's just not on for him in this, in, at this level. It would be more fair to compare next season. I think if house have a more competitive car, I think if anything, both those drivers proved that that car was undrivable. Okay, great. Thanks for joining us for this 2021 season review. Please do stick around, subscribe to the audio version. Just have it ticking along in your podcast app. We'll do our best to fill it with content that might while the hours away or at the very least be something to fall asleep to on a Monday night. So do subscribe to us on the audio version. Check out what we're doing at YouTube as well and you can see all of our faces and what we look like too. You can consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. That is the reason why we are able to continue just going all the way through the off-season. In the in the new season, we're going to ramp up, I think, in style in late February. And then once the season starts, we're going to have a Sunday show every week, be it a race review or a, a new show. And then Tuesday is either going to be a guest spot for the likes of Joe or Matthew Carter or Summers, or it will be a patron only live stream and podcast as well, where we'll, we'll, we'll stray a little bit away from F1. We'll be a bit more relaxed, but I think it will be a nice hangout there as well. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Uh, go and follow my panel. Go and follow Jono. Look in the show notes now. Go and follow him. Look at his little Australian face and his curly hair. Go and follow him. Go and follow Little tiny Chris Stevens, who is now only the second youngest member of Missed Apex Podcast. Follow the oldest member of Missed Apex Podcast, Matt, at MattPT55. At MattPT55. Follow his wife as well, at A Weaver Writes on Twitter. She has books that you could buy. And follow me, at Spanners Ready. I'm the best one. And follow the show, at Missed Apex F1. We're all on Facebook as well. Go into the show notes, have a dig around, see if anything interests you. There will be content on the 26th. It could be tech, it could be teammate battles, but we will be having stuff for you to listen to and watch over the off-season. All right. I think that's it for 2021 proper. Wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.